hi everybody. I want to welcome you back to EI on the Fly, a podcast about all things early intervention. Emily and I are back to talk to you about another component of functional assessment. Um, So let us introduce ourselves first and then we'll dive right in. So my name is Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant. And we have a big priority um, this coming year about functional assessment, as I know Emily does too. So um, we're trying to take advantage of this podcast time to explore some of the ideas that are pretty important to implementing assessment this way. So Emily, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Emily Webb, and I'm the training coordinator for the Early Intervention Training Center here in Massachusetts. And I just have to tell you that I'm really excited to talk about active listening. I feel like it is a big ticket to functional assessment and family engagement, but it's also really, really hard to do. That is true. It's really hard to be aware of what you're doing to make sure you're doing active listening. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to define it, talk about your role, and talk about a model to help you uh, make sure you're actively listening to families. So far in the series, so far, um, I hope you'll join us for other podcasts, the other episodes we've covered, kind of an overview of functional assessment. We've talked about intentionally observing um, and how the importance of observation in doing good assessment. And we've talked about how to gather information from families by asking asking meaningful questions. So you ask those questions and then you need to be listening and being wide open to hearing what families have to say. So when we think about active listening, how would you define active listening, Emily? When I think about active listening, I really, you know, a definition, I would say it's a way of listening and responding to another person that improves that mutual, improves that mutual understanding. You know, and I think I think of active listening really is kind of a reciprocal process. I mean, your role is the listener, but it's a back and forth. You're also letting the person you're listening to know that you value what they say and you're conveying their importance to build that mutual understanding. Yeah, and there's it's so empowering when you're having a conversation with somebody um, and you feel like they're really listening and hearing you. It just it 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 changes the dynamic of the conversation and really is a a stepping stone into that relationship building. Yeah, I was thinking about the difference between when somebody is active listening and when you don't feel like you're being listened to. I know last episode, we talked about communication openers and closers. And I think not actively listening, not really showing respect for what the family's saying can definitely be one of those closers. You know, because when you feel like somebody's not conveying they're listening, it's also conveying they're not really caring. What you're saying is not really important. And boy, can that change or shut down the relationship. Mm -hmm. My daughter, she sees a lot of different specialists, but she sees a neurologist. And when we originally got, you know, the referral to go see a neurologist, I was like, oh, really? Like, how are they going to help? Like, yeah. I was I was fully prepared to just go in and be like, I don't like this guy simply because he's a neurologist. <laughs> it it didn't really help that his name is Dr. Drudge. So <laughs> I was really like, ah. Uh. And, you know, we went in and I ended up really, really liking him. I was like, oh my gosh, I was prepared to just dismiss everything he said and I ended up really liking him and when I thought about you know my husband was like well why what like why did you like him and and thinking about it it's because he did lots of things 
to show me that he was really actively listening to me and to what I had to say about my daughter. And he he really did a lot of the things that we're talking about in this podcast series. Like he asked really meaningful questions. He spent time observing her. He built a relationship not just with me, but with her. And he did a lot of things to make me feel like he wasn't just asking me questions to check a box off his, you know, check a box off his checklist. He was asking me questions because he genuinely wanted to know and was interested to hear the information. That's such a good example. It's always so nice to hear a medical provider doing such good active listening because sometimes families don't report that. You know, they report, oh, I yeah. had five minutes for the doctor and then there was he was gone. So that's a great bridge to our next topic. When we think about what's our role, what should it look like when we're using active listening? I mean, we, I, what I want families to walk away from an interaction with an early interventionist feeling like you did with your doctor, you know, feeling like I was heard, this really mattered and it helped me. So uh, I think when we think about our role in active listening, there's probably some characteristics that we can bring to functional assessment that help us do it better. I think one of the things that we can do is try as best as we can to remove distractions. I know that that can be really challenging. You're in a home and um, you don't necessarily have um, control of distractions, but there's definitely ways that you can um, remove or limit distractions. And one of those big distractions is your phone. You know, we're all sort of used to staring at it, scrolling through it, checking email while we're listening to someone else, but we're not really conveying active listening. Like, like you know, we're, we're dividing our attention. And you know how they say you really can't multitask. You're never really attending to either thing you're trying to well enough. So putting that phone away, putting it on silence, sticking it in your bag, um, not letting it be a distraction because boy, it can be a distraction and you don't even realize it when you're the provider trying to talk with a family. Now, yes, the family might, parent might be on her phone. That That's different. We're more talking about what the active listener is doing. And I think that's a huge distraction. I know it can be for me personally. It, it can. It It absolutely is. So another thing that we can do is really make sure that we're listening to the speaker's signs and sounds. Yeah, that feedback your speaker gives can make a big difference. I think we can watch their body language to help us figure out, is this a reciprocal process? Um, And I think feedback, signs and sounds, and even the words the families say. I know you have an example, Emily, from when you were doing an evaluation. I do. So I, um, before I came to work for the Department of Public Health, I was what they called a Battelle mentor. So you guys have all heard that in Massachusetts, we use the Battelle developmental inventory as our um, standardized assessment. And so I had to get videotaped by the lead agency for this role that I was doing some contract work. And you know, I was asking the interview questions that I needed to ask on the the Battelle and, you know, went through the Battelle, it was fine. And at the end, I had asked the dad that I was doing this um, evaluation on his son, I was I asked the dad for some feedback. And I was really shocked and embarrassed when his response to me was, well, why did you ask me all those questions if you didn't care what the answer was? Wow. And I was like, like, wow, like, 
again, I was really embarrassed. I was like, oh my, oh my goodness. And so I guess I was lucky that it was on video. Mm -hmm. So I was able to play back the video and there is this one specific point in the video and I watched it and I was like, I know exactly what he is talking about. So I was asking him, you know, the interview questions Mm -hmm. and he was responding. And this was a dad that had a lot of information um, about his son and was willing to sort of engage in this interview process. And at one point, you know, I asked him a question and then I had in the battalion, you need to use nesting cups. And mm-hmm. so I had, you know, the nesting cups and I'm kind of like fidgeting with them in my hand, you know, rearranging them, pulling them out of one another. I like stop, I hand his son a toy. I like, he's talking to me and I completely turn my body and start to engage with the child. I, like one point I get a new toy out of the kit, put something away all while like not really making intense eye contact. And when I watch it back, I'm like, there is nothing about my body language that shows him that I am really interested in his response. That's so powerful. And how brave of that dad to be that honest, because that's hard to say to somebody, you know, that I didn't feel like you were listening. I mean, that's a really powerful statement. And I, I appreciate that how reflective you were that, you know, you were embarrassed, but you were also able to go back to the video and say, okay, yeah, I saw what I did. And I bet you were more careful not to do that again in the future. (laughs) I, I absolutely was. And it made me really think about the way I conduct evaluations and, and, what role do I need to play and how do I need to do it? Uh, Not just so that I can do it well and do it to fidelity, but also so that I can work on building that relationship with the family and making them feel really valued. What a great tip though, for the listeners of the podcast that take some time and videotape yourself, record yourself, use your phone, use somebody's phone to record yourself during an interaction with the family. We typically, you know, we'll do that, like you said, for fidelity, for evaluation or for coaching practices or whatever, but paying attention to whether you're actively listening to families and how are you conveying that can be can be kind of subtle. Now for the dad you're talking about, it doesn't sound like it was all that subtle to him, but making sure we're conveying that there's nothing like seeing yourself on video. Sometimes it's hard to see and sometimes you might think, okay, yeah, I am doing that. Or you might see other cues that others are using that you want to integrate into your work too. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And it's something our system is you know, providers here have, we've been doing a lot more with videoing. And at first they were like, no, no. And now people are really seeing the value of it. And they're getting excited about um, being able to use those videos to just help with that self reflection Mm -hmm. and building their practice and uh, moving forward. Because I think uh, providers, nobody's doing anything intentional, right? Like I wasn't sitting there being like in my head thinking, I don't care what you have to say. Like I I really did care, but I didn't realize. And sometimes you don't even realize sort of your own style or the way you do things until you watch it back. 
Definitely. You know, and in our state, we have some programs that are uh, allow videotaping and some where their providers are not allowed to videotape with the families present. So I'm hearing folks going and having obser- observations of each other. So they might take a peer along with them to observe the visit. Um, ours are particularly related to coaching practices, but I thought, what a great thing to ask somebody to look for. You know, I want to make sure I'm conveying, I'm actively listening to families that, you know, my body language. So could you keep an eye on that and give me some feedback? Even if, even if you can't watch it yourself, getting feedback from someone else who feels comfortable enough to give you the positive feedback and the constructive feedback can make a difference too, because not all families are going to be as honest as that father was. Absolutely. So that makes me think of another, um, another I guess, strategy or characteristic of um, showing active listening is giving feedback on what you've heard. So I think, you know, in coaching practices, we talk a lot about different types of feedback, affirmative feedback, um, informative. And I, I think thinking about the words you're saying to convey to the family that you're really listening um, can really matter more than just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, thank you for telling me. Like, what kind of words might we use to let families know that we're really there with them? Yeah, it's it's thinking about the words and the way you respond and then also reflecting on that that body language piece and and did my body and my words show you that I really uh, was actively listening to what you said. You know, one of the things I know that I need to work on is I will sometimes be thinking about uh, maybe what I'm going to say next or why I think the family's saying that or what something I'm observing and almost distracting myself. Even when I'm trying to do the back and forth and giving feedback and listening and trying to, I can be a distraction to myself. Like I almost think mm-hmm. active listening is a, a process of being in the moment with the family and being open and accepting of whatever they say, even if it's something that's hard to hear or um, I think, oh, I need to have a, I need to know what to say to support the family, and I'm not sure. And that's something I, I have struggled with in the past is almost slowing my own brain down so that I'm really able to be present and listen. Because when mm-hmm. I'm not, my distraction is very likely showing. You know, I think you yeah. could read it on a distracted person pretty quickly. In fact, I'm pretty yeah. sure my husband would agree. Yeah, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's also being a little bit uncomfortable, uh, getting comfortable with the idea that the conversation might go in a different direction than you were planning, and, yeah. and being comfortable and open to that, which can be it can be a little bit scary. It can be, and it can also be hard when it doesn't go the way you expect, or it doesn't go at all. You know, you're trying to listen, you're trying to ask some of those questions we talked about last time, but you kind of come to a standstill. I've heard providers recently say to me, asking about that, like, what do you do when you're trying to convey, I really care, I want to know, but that going back and forth, processing things, suggestions is just not happening or slow to happen. And I think, you know, the best we can do is reflect on what did I just say? What is my body language conveying? Is there something I could do different to help this process move along? Because letting the family know that we think what they have to say is really important is so mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And another thing that providers can really do that I think really supports that they were actively listening is... And, and this is making sure that, you know, active listening is kind of always happening, but bringing things up that they have said or heard at, you know, past visits or during the initial eval and, and revisiting it and, and readdressing it and talking about it again. Um, it's, 
again, it's a way to show the parent, like, I was really listening to you when you told me last week that going to the playground is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, recently I had a visit and I remembered the dog's name and we hadn't talked about the dog in a long time. He was never in on our sessions. In fact, he doesn't like people. So he's not typically (laughs) in the room with me. Although I I would like him just fine. But when I brought his name up, this has been a couple of sessions. His mom said, oh, you remembered his name. Like little things like that, I think show that a a family that you're paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I know, Emily, you have to share with our listeners is a model to help people think about and uh, reflect on their own skills and make sure they're active listening. And I know you're more familiar with the HEAR model than I am. So if you want to talk folks through that, that would be great. Yeah, so the HEAR model is uh, a model for active listening that comes out of communication research. This is not something that, you know, the state of Massachusetts has developed, but it can be a really helpful tool. So the H in HEAR model um, reminds us to hear the speaker's words and feelings. And this includes paying attention to their nonverbal cues, their body language, their facial expression, their tone, their rate of speech. You know, research will tell us that if you only listen to a speaker's words, you're missing 65% of the message. That's a big, that's a big difference, isn't it? I think I've always thought even with service coordinators, I've always said service coordinators are great at doing these kind of things, reading body language, making sure families are okay, that we're listening and monitoring how families are doing, especially during like IFSP meetings, assessments, big meetings, but it's not just service coordinators. All of us need to be paying attention because like you said, if we're not really attending to the whole picture of the communication, boy, we could be missing something important. Absolutely. So the E... Uh, represents or stands for empathizing with the speaker. And I I think we've, we've really kind of talked about when you empathize with the speaker, it helps to build that relationship. It helps to build that rapport. It helps to feel the helps for the parent to feel more confident and competent to be able to share information with you about their child and their family. Yeah, I think being mindful of how, what you say and how you say it, it's probably really important here because just a ch- turn of a phrase or a few different words could go from empathizing to judging. And we certainly don't want to go that route. Active listening is definitely a non-judgmental approach to being accepting of whatever the family decides to share. Mm-hmm. We were recently at our ICC, which for those of you that don't know, stands for Interagency Coordinating Council. All states, you know, are federally required to have one for their state early intervention program. We were just talking about how important when a parent says something to you or gives you information or brings you a concern, just how important the response of the provider is and how really impactful that response is and how difficult it is as a provider to figure out in the moment what is the right response. Yeah, I've thought before, like you never really know what's the one thing you're going to say to a family that they're going to take with them and remember for a long time. And it's almost intimidating to think about the importance of what the information you share, the type of support you provide. 
I don't, not, not every interaction is going to be earth shattering, but you might get, provide a piece of information or help the family, uh, you know, address a feeling that could make a, a big impact on them and they could carry with them well beyond their time and early intervention. Yeah, I, I can definitely sort of speak to that from the parent perspective. When I was working in early intervention and doing home visits, I don't think I had really any idea how powerful your words as an EI provider can be. Mm-hmm. And being a parent, I mean, there are some things my EI provider has said to me that has just changed my whole day. It has made me feel like the world's greatest parent that I could take on any challenge that I am enough for my kids and Mm. I am doing everything for them. And you go through the whole day almost with this like internal smile on your face, like, you know what, I I am doing this and I'm doing it really well. And that is huge because in 2019, you don't necessarily get a lot of that sort of positive reinforcement as a parent. There's, there's a lot, you know, thinking about social media and, um, there's a lot that we don't even realize that is sort of bringing us down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think just, even just the act of active listening can make a big difference too, just for a parent to feel like somebody is listening to me, especially I can think of families I worked with that would struggle going to doctors and the doctor said, just wait and see, he'll outgrow it. Or, you know, he's not talking yet, but he will eventually, or he'll eventually walk, which I think the doctors were trying to be positive or maybe a little bit of the wait and see approach. But I, I can think of several families that just felt like once they got to us to early intervention, they were just relieved that somebody was just hearing for them for whatever they said, not dismissing them, not saying just, you know, give it more time. But I see it. I hear your concern. So let's let's start thinking about how you can do something about it. It was kind mm-hmm. of empathizing with the, what the family was saying, but also just trying to um, listen to where they were and what they needed. Not not so much what I thought they needed, which I would, you know, you can understand a speaker thinking the family just needs reassurance. that Everything's going to be okay. Sometimes that's not what they need. They need somebody to help them go wherever they need to go. And maybe where they need to go is I need, like for me as a parent, I would need, I need to do something. Tell me what Mm -hmm. to do. Don't just tell me to wait. Yeah, absolutely. So the A in the here model is talking about analyzing the speaker's words and thoughts. And ways that you can do that is asking open-ended questions. We talked a lot about that in the last episode and we even kind of went back and forth and gave some examples of when you ask open-ended questions, the response not only sounds different, but also feels really different. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you can do is rephrasing. So if a parent says to you something, rephrase it. So you um, ensure that you really got the correct information. The other thing to do for analyzing is just being sure that you really truly understand what's being said. And when you truly understand what's being said, the speaker then knows that they were being heard. I think that's a great point. The truly understanding, it's hard for us to truly know that we understood what we said without checking in with the speaker. So you've given some good Mm -hmm. examples of how to do that. Yeah. And then the R, the last one is respond to the person speaking. And I think a big thing in your response is not assuming that the person wants advice, but instead offer suggestions. And 
I think that there's a that's a fine line and it's sometimes hard to know when you've crossed over from suggestions to advice. But I also think in early intervention, we're all helpers, we're doers. We really are so passionate about our work that sometimes it can be hard to take a step back and just say, I'm not going to offer advice. I'm not going to offer a solution. Well, and all the work we're doing here in Virginia around coaching Um, we've talked a lot about that, about how easy it is just to jump to, well, have you tried this? Or which probably does walk that line between advice and suggestions. Um, And we're trying to get in the habit of taking a little bit of a step back and responding to the person speaking by, by asking for more information. Well, tell me what you did last time, or what do you think you might be able to do differently? Or how can I help you? And sometimes even asking first, well, I have an idea. Do you mind if I share it? Because we do still need to share our expertise, but we want to do it in a way that's responsive as opposed to, like you said, just um, laying out advice that really may or may not work for the family. So I think when we start to wrap this one up, you know, we want to think about active listening as something we do all the time, not just at the initial intake visit or at the initial assessment, but team members are going to be using active listening on an ongoing basis. And for some of us, it's going to take practice to really develop our active listening skills to make sure we're using them consistently and we're doing it in a way that builds trust with families. Yeah. So When we really do active listening, like you said, not only does it help build trust, but it can help families to release some emotions. And when people release emotions, um, tensions tend to go down, people feel more comfortable. And when all of those things are happening, it leads to a collaborative environment that really can promote problem solving and be a safe space for people which is all the kind of environment we want to create when we're doing functional assessment, gathering that good information initially with families, and when we're using our um, all of these strategies to gather ongoing information through continuing to assess the child um, and his ability to participate and you know do the things the family wants him to do every day so it's it's really a an ongoing process and a skill that we as practitioners need to develop over time. So I think we have, I think we've done a nice job today of covering different aspects of active listening as a really um, significant component of functional assessment. Where we're going to go next, um, our next podcast episodes, we'll be talking about how to use functional assessment in more specific parts of the EI process. We're going to talk about it during the initial IFSP or the initial assessment in IFSP. We'll talk about functional assessment during home visits. And we're going to think about um, other things that can affect functional assessment, such as um, our own internal biases that we bring to the relationship. So we hope you'll join us again next time for future episodes. And we thank you for listening this time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.